Well, I'm glad that you're here tonight. This study we're going to be doing. Before I tell you what the study is, I want to invite you to use your imagination for just a moment. I want to travel back in time with you for a moment. If you can just use your imagination and let's travel back in time to a different time, to a different area, and let's go back in our minds and our imaginations to the area of the Sea of Galilee in Israel. Some of you have been there, some of you have not, but I'm sure you can still picture it, you can imagine in your mind's eye, you've seen pictures, so let's travel back in our mind, if you will, uh, and you, you are living around the Sea of Galilee. Now, in this situation, let's imagine that you've lived there your entire life, you've lived around that Galilee region your entire life, and then one day, one day you hear about a man named Jesus. You've never seen him before, you've never heard him before, but you've heard that he's coming to town. And some people are pretty excited about his presence. And you go more out of curiosity than anything else. And as you go to see him and to hear him and perhaps even have the chance to talk to him, you recognize something's different. You recognize this is not a, uh, just a, a regular traveling preacher, if you will. And week after week, you watch him. Week after week, you listen to him. You perhaps even occasionally follow him as he goes from town to town, village to village, around the Sea of Galilee. You watch the crowds grow. Week after week, the crowds get larger and are larger, and your interest grows as well as you listen to what he has to say. Now, with that imaginary situation, I want to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you to talk to somebody nearby and try to come up with an answer. Here's the question I want to ask you. What do you think would impress you the most about Jesus? There is no right or wrong answer. But if you lived in that time, you had never seen him before, but now you do see him. You have never heard him before, but now you do hear him. You watch him and everything. What would impress you the most about him? Talk to one another next your neighbor, and let's come up with an answer or two. All right, that's not a hard question, so hopefully you've had time to throw out an answer or two. Some of you perhaps didn't get to finish, but just give me one or two, three answers. What do you think would impress you the most about Jesus? Miracles, absolutely. I, I mean, just to see him do what nobody else has ever done, to see him heal and cast out demons and uh, just incredible miracles, that certainly would have impressed you. What else would have impressed you? His demeanor? All right, yeah, absolutely. I hadn't thought about that, Terry, but that's a good one. Just his attitude, the way he approached people, the way he talked to people, his demeanor, his, his, the way he conducted himself. What else? Say it louder. Hearing him pray to God. That would, I've, I've thought about that one myself. It's like, man, I would just love to be a fly on the wall when he prays. You know, somebody else had... 
his eyes, the way he would look at you. Okay, that's good. I hadn't thought about that one either. Boy, I bet he could look into you and look through you, don't you think? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, well, there's one that you haven't mentioned, and I thought you, you'd just get it right away. Again, no right or wrong answers. His preaching, his teaching. Absolutely. In, in my mind, the, the two things, and again, this is just my thoughts. In my mind, the two things that would impress me the most would be the miracles and his teaching. Now, if you think about his miracles, and you think about his teaching, they have something in common. Those two things are demonstration of authority, power. Both of those are. I was reading several weeks ago through the book of Matthew, and I noticed something in Matthew. All through the book of Matthew, there's this emphasis on the authority of Jesus. I shared a little bit of this with our staff one day a couple of weeks back. I, I've been ruminating on this for a while now. As I'm just reading through Matthew, I just noticed it, and, and then I've, I've seen it as I go throughout the book, this, this idea that Matthew's painting a picture. Matthew is maybe drawing a picture of who Jesus is, and one of the ways he draws that picture is that he shows us the authority of Jesus. He weaves it through the entire gospel. That Jesus had authority. It seems to be one of the important truths, not all of the things, but one of the important truths that Matthew was really trying to drive home to his audience. So tonight, I want to walk through Matthew with you. I want to do a study on the authority of Jesus and then I want to make some applications to our lives. What does it mean to, to understand His authority? And how does that apply to our lives in 2021? So, Matthew, here's where, where I want to start. I want to start in chapter 7. I'm going to give you five things related to the authority of Jesus. If you like to take notes, if you've got your notebook or your journal, I'm going to give you five different things related to the authority of Jesus. As we work our way through this passage, hopefully rather quickly. So, let's just, before I give you what the first one is, let's just read the text. Uh, let's start in verse 24, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Now, Jesus is teaching here, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, the greatest teaching, the greatest sermon ever preached. And so when we get near the end of that, that's what we're reading about. He said, therefore, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose... The winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, verse 28 is where I want you to land with me. Verse 28 and 29. When Jesus had finished saying these things, that, that is all the things that he said in chapters 5, 6, and 7 at the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were, what's that next word? Amazed at his teachings. That's one of the reasons I said one of the things that would have amazed people besides his miracles would have been his teaching. 
The crowds were amazed at his teaching. Then in verse 29, Matthew tells us why they were amazed. Because he taught us one who had authority. Underline that word. He taught us one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. First century Jews who were privileged to be eyewitnesses to the, uh, the ministry of Jesus, they saw some amazing miracles and they were flabbergasted, if you will. That's a, that's a big theological word, by the way, flabbergasted. They were flabbergasted by what they saw Jesus do. The, the miracles of feeding thousands of people or the miracle of restoring the sight to the blind or the miracle of making a crippled man walk. They, they were amazed at what they saw. But one of the things that really was compelling to them was not just what they saw, but rather also what they heard. They heard Him teach. And they had never heard a man teach like He taught. You see, the teachers of the law that they were familiar with, the teachers of the law that that they had listened to all of their lives, they would quote other teachers of the law to support what they were saying. They would quote other rabbis to support what they were saying. But Jesus did not quote anybody. Jesus spoke with divine authority. Jesus spoke without saying, well, Rabbi so-and-so says, or or Rabbi so-and-so teaches, Jesus taught with authority. And in this culture, that meant that he didn't quote anybody. He didn't footnote anything. He didn't say he'd gotten this truth from a book that he read. Jesus taught as one who had authority. Matthew makes that case. Look at it again. Verse 28, 29. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because... He taught us one who had, and you could put in the column there, divine authority is what's implied there. He taught us one who had divine authority. And because he had a divine authority, he he didn't have to quote the teachers of the law. Because he wasn't teaching what the teachers of the law said. He was speaking with divine authority. Now let me give you a little bit of a word study on this word authority before we get too deep in the book of Matthew. The word authority, Uh, The Greek word for authority here is exousia. Exousia. It really means authorization. Slash power. It doesn't mean just power. It doesn't mean I'm in power and I'm in control. And uh, There's another word for that. It's the Greek word dunamis. That means power. Just raw power. The the power to make somebody do something. That's not what this word is. Exousia means... Someone who has authorization, they have not just the power, they have the right to do something. It's a position, if you will. They have the right to do something, they have the authority to do something. So exousia has, emphasizes that here is a person who has the right to do it, and he has the power to do it. So, the people were amazed at his teaching If you're taking notes, here's the first thing that I want you to learn about the authority of Jesus. Jesus had authority in his teaching. He had authority in his teaching to such a degree that when the people heard it, they were amazed because he spoke with divine authority. Now we're just building a case, and then we'll make application at the end. So that's Matthew chapter 7, the end of chapter 7. When we come to Matthew chapter 8, just a little side story in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 5, a Roman centurion is mentioned 
beginning in this text. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, there near the Sea of Galilee, a centurion came to him asking for help. Now, a Roman centurion was a career military officer for the Roman army. He had a hundred soldiers under his command, thus the name centurion. Uh, and, And you need to remember that the Romans in that day, especially the Roman soldiers in that day, were hated by the Jews. They absolutely despised them because the Roman soldiers led by oppression. They, they controlled, they had great control over the Jewish people and the Jewish land. So this hated Gentile came to Jesus. It's interesting how this story unfolds. Verse 6, Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. Now, just stopping right there, that would be an an amazing thing that Jesus is willing to go to the home of a hated Gentile. He's willing to go to the home of a Roman centurion, a Roman soldier that was hated in the land of Israel because of the way he had treated the people there in the land of Israel. And yet Jesus says, I don't know this person, this Roman centurion, and I certainly don't know his servant. But here's somebody in need. I will go and heal him. Keep reading the story. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. Look what it says in verse 9. For I myself am a man under, what's that next word? Authority. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and, I, and to that one come and he comes and I say to my servant do this and he does it. And when Jesus heard this he was astonished and said to those following him I tell you the truth I, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast of Abraham Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus said to the centurion, to the Roman soldier, Go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. Now, this is just a side note to the overall story, but I just want you to notice something. This Roman centurion said to Jesus in verses 8 and 9, he said to Jesus, Just say the word. You don't need to come to my house. Just say the word. And my servant will be healed. Why did he say that? Because here was a, a Roman soldier, a Gentile, who recognized that Jesus had authority. Just say the word. He'll be healed. He, he had the insight. Maybe as he listened to Jesus teach, I don't know. But, but there was something about Jesus. This man said, you don't need to come. To, don't bother yourself. I, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. Just say the word. Because you have authority. Now, again, these are just little side stories. But if you go later into chapter 8, uh, if you look in verses, uh, verses, beginning in verse 23, later in chapter 8, uh, it's the story of they get into a boat and the disciples are with them and there's this furious storm and Jesus is sleeping and you know the story and they wake Jesus up and said, don't you care uh, that, 
uh, that we're going to drown. Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Verse 26, Jesus replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? And then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Now, you don't see the word authority there, but you do see authority in action, don't you? And in this story, it's not authority over sickness. In this story, it is authority over the wind and the waves. So, look how Matthew is building this, this account of Jesus. First of all, in chapter 7, here is Jesus. He speaks with authority, divine authority. He doesn't quote other rabbis. He speaks with divine authority. And then, this Roman centurion recognizes the authority that he has. and says, just say the word and it'll be done. And then we come to this storm. And even the winds and the waves, even they recognize he has authority over them. And the storm is calm. So, that's the first point of, of the authority of Jesus. All of that just speaks about His, his authority to, uh, in His teaching and, and how it's displayed in the rest of those, that chapter 8. Then we come to the second point. His authority to heal and to forgive sin. Again, Matthew is trying to paint us a picture of who Jesus is. He weaves this idea of the authority of Jesus throughout the gospel. And we come to to this idea that Jesus has authority to heal and to forgive sins. We come to chapter 9. Jesus stepped into a boat. He crossed over and came to, to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. And when he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is what? What's that next word, church? Yeah, this fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk? But so you may know, watch this, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Dot, dot, dot. See that in your Bible? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then the sentence is interrupted. And Jesus turns to the man who is, who is paralyzed. And he says to him, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man got up and went home. And Matthew is saying, he has authority to forgive sins. Let me paint you a picture of Jesus. He has authority to heal. And He has authority to forgive sins. So we go on. Chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10. This concept of the authority of Jesus continues. Matthew chapter 10 Verse 1, it, it takes an interesting turn in chapter 10. He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Now this really turns into an interesting situation. Now he's not just demonstrating his authority. He's not just demonstrating his authority over the, 
over the storms or His authority over sickness or His authority over demons or His authority in His teaching. Now He's giving them authority, the disciples. He's getting ready to send them out. He's going to send them out on this great preaching mission, uh, this missionary journey. And as He sends them out, He doesn't send them out just to do their own weak little thing. He doesn't send them out without putting something in their hand. And what does He put in their hand? He puts in their hand His authority. Now Matthew describes it. He gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. It's interesting that Jesus not only possessed that authority, that power, but he could actually share that authority with others. It's fascinating to me. In other words, he was giving them his own authority for them to use. Pastor, explain that to me. I can't. I don't understand how he did it. Except that he has all authority. And because he has all authority, he was able to share it with his disciples. Now, let's just talk for a minute. Let's just have fun for a minute. Let's put you in verse 1. He gave his disciples, uh, he called his disciples to him and he gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Jesus gives you that authority. Let's pretend now. We're back in in our imaginary Galilee village. And Jesus has just given you that authority. What are you going to do? How are you going to respond? I I don't know. Are you going to be happy? Are you going to be excited? Are you going to be fearful? Talk to me. Just let me know what you're thinking. All right, fearful, want to make sure you use it wisely. <laughs> Go home and do what now? Yeah. You, you're going to say, let's go see Grandma, right? All right, you're going, you're going to go, huh? How's this going to work? A lot of questions. How's this going to work? I mean, you've seen him do that, right? You've seen seen him teach. You've seen him heal. You've seen him cast out demons. And then he says, okay, open your hand. I'm going to put in your hand some of my authority. I'm going to give you authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Now, an important note here. He did not give them authority to save or or to convert anybody. Take note of that. He did not give them authority to save anybody. That belongs only to God. Only God can change an individual. Only God can convert someone. Only God can save someone. He did not give them that authority, but He did give them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. By the way, you fast forward the story. When they come back, they're pretty excited about what they saw happen as I think we all would be so then we come to the fourth part of this if you're taking notes uh, the fourth part as Matthew weaves this story about the authority of Jesus is that his authority was questioned we fast forward to Matthew chapter 21 Matthew chapter 21 This is what we're about to read occurred during the final week of Jesus' life. 
It's interesting. Three years of public ministry. Three years of demonstrating His authority. Three years of teaching and healing and preaching. Three years of doing this. And in the final week, while He is in Jerusalem, things begin to unravel a little bit. One of the things that leads to the conversation we're about to read is that Jesus goes into the temple courts and He clears out the temple courts. You know that story, I'm sure. How He goes in with the whips and overturns tables and, and He goes in and He cleans house. So we pick up the story as the authority of Jesus is questioned. Chapter 21, verse 23. Jesus entered the temple courts and while He was teaching the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? They ask, and who gave you this authority? Notice you see that word authority twice in this passage. This has become a real issue. This has become a real problem. This has become a situation that they want to get some answers to. And they're likely asking this because he just cleared the temple. He's just defied their authority as the Jewish religious leaders. They're standing in the temple courts, which represents the authority of God. They represent God's authority in the temple courts. And here comes somebody just clearing the temple courts out, defying their own authority and probably hurting their pocketbook, to be quite frank with you. Maybe they were just also trying to raise suspicion and, and trying to, to find some they could report to the Roman soldiers. And, and so, I love the way this unfolds. By what authority are you doing these things? They ask, and who gave you this authority? In verse 24, Jesus replied, If I was Jesus, I would say, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. Jesus replied something kind of similar to that. Jesus replied, I will, ask, I will also ask you one question. In other words, okay, before I answer your question, let me ask you a question. If you answer me, I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. And then here's Jesus' question. John's baptism. Let's talk about John's baptism. Where did it come from? Was it from heaven or from men? And they basically, shorter translation, they said, just a minute. We need, we need to talk. And so they, the religious leaders, they get together and they start talking over to the side. They discuss it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? And somebody else in the group said, yeah, but if we say from men, we're afraid of the people for, for they all hold that John was a prophet. And so they decided... That they, they knew what the answer needs to be. So they go back to Jesus and they say, we don't know. Which is the lamest answer you could give in that situation. They knew. They just didn't want to say. They flat out lied and said, we don't know. And so, Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm going to do these things. I just love that. I don't know why, but I just love that. Jesus said, okay, you're not going to answer my question. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to answer yours. Uh, and I, I raise all that simply to say, he had more authority than they did, so he did not feel compelled to answer their question. Now, then we come to the fifth 
place in Matthew where the authority of Jesus is mentioned. And I want to read the text before I tell you what it is. Very familiar text to all of us. Now remember, just pause for a moment, pause for a moment. Remember Matthew beginning in chapter 7, the end of chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, uh, chapter 21. Matthew throughout the, the book, is he, he keeps bringing up this idea that Jesus has authority. He is a man of has authority in his teaching, has authority in his healing, he has authority to cast out demons, he has authority. Jesus is the one who has authority. So it's interesting how Matthew ends his book. Chapter 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them. This is after the resurrection. Then Jesus came to them and said, watch this. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not just authority in his teaching, not just authority in healing, not just authority over the storms, not just authority over the evil spirits. Jesus said, all authority, both in heaven and on earth, has been given to me. We could take a while, I'm not going to take the time to dig into that, we could take a while and talk about that, but would you agree with me, all authority in heaven and on earth, that kind of covers it all, does it not? You might want to underline the phrase, all authority. Not some authority. Not most authority. All authority. And not just all authority here on earth. But all authority in heaven and on earth. This is the great climax of the story of Jesus. Matthew started in chapter 7 to say, Here was a man who teaches with authority. He doesn't quote the teachers of the law. He is the law, speaking in person. He teaches with divine authority. Here is a man who has divine authority. He speaks to the demons and they obey him. Here is a man who speaks to the storms and they obey him. We come to the end of the book and Matthew says, and after his crucifixion, after his resurrection, he met with his disciples and he said to them, there's one thing I want you to get. There's one thing I want you to know. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He didn't say that to impress them. He said that to push them out. Because look what he says next. Therefore, because I have all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore, here's what I want you to do. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And watch this. And surely... I am with you always. The one who has all authority. The one who has authority in heaven and on earth. Surely I am with you always. Guys, you'll never go someplace and meet somebody who has more authority than I do. You will never experience a problem that is greater than I can handle. Because I have all authority in heaven and on earth. So you don't have a reason not to go. You don't have an excuse for not going. All authority in heaven and on earth is mine. And now I'm sending you out. And I'm not going to give you that authority. I'm going to do something better. I'm going to be with you. Wherever you go. So what does this have to do with you and I? I've got to make a two or three or a couple of applications here before we leave. Here in Powdersville, Easley, South Carolina... September 2021, what, what does this, 
I mean, it's interesting that Matthew weaves the idea of authority throughout his gospel, but what does that have to do with us? There's two lessons I want to bring to you tonight in closing. The first one is this. Jesus interferes with our lives. I was watching a guy recently. He said something to that effect. I uh, may not have quoted him completely right, but, but the idea is this. It's for our good, but it's an interference nonetheless, right? What do you mean by that, Pastor? That the things that Jesus says in the Gospels, let's just take the Sermon on the Mount. Remember when they heard the Sermon on the Mount, they said, They were amazed at his teaching because nobody ever taught with that kind of authority. The things that he said in the Sermon on the Mount, just for one example, the things that he said in the Sermon on the Mount were things that would interfere with their lives if they obeyed it. My point is that the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who has authority. He is the one who is in authority. And when you obey Him, it sometimes will not be a convenient thing. It sometimes will not be a convenient time. Jesus said things in such a, an authoritative way that you can't sidestep it. He said things in, a, in a, simply uh, an authoritative way that, that you can't just dismiss, dismiss it because he is in authority. Too many people want Jesus to save them. They just don't want Jesus to interfere in how they live their lives. Again, if you just go back to the Gospels, just go back to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said some pretty radical things in the Sermon on the Mount and if you read it and if you try to live it, it's going to interfere with the way you've been living your life. That's why you have to decide who's in control. Who is the authority? You or Him? Who is the authority? You or Him? Which brings me to the second point of application and one that perhaps you would expect. For the Christian, Jesus is our highest authority. He is our highest authority. I've got a lot of scriptures that we could read. We're not going to have time to do that. But whenever you say, Jesus is Lord, what you're basically saying is, Jesus is my authority. Jesus is the one who is in control. Jesus is our highest authority, and that's why we submit to His Word. That's why the Scripture is our highest authority because it is the words of God, it is the words of Jesus, and that's why it is our highest authority. Because as a Christian, our statement of faith is not just simply, I want Jesus to save me, but our statement of faith is, Jesus is Lord. He's my authority. Now I want to show you this in in the Scripture before we leave. I want you to go to Romans. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10.
Verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my authority. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. My point is simply this. The very essence of salvation rests upon the foundation of the authority of Jesus Christ. The authority of Jesus Christ can, cannot be confined to the pages of Matthew. Hear that, please. The authority of Jesus Christ cannot be confined to the pages of Matthew. The authority of Jesus Christ is to be lived out in Powdersville. And by the way, there's coming a day when everyone will understand that. Because the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And at that name, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. Remember, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The writer says, Paul says, there's coming a day when everyone in heaven and on earth will bow to him. And, and even under the earth, he says, and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is in authority to the glory of the Father. So let's not confine the authority of Jesus to the pages of Scripture. Let's not confine the stories uh, or confine the authority of Jesus to the pages of Matthew and say, isn't that interesting how Matthew weaves that through the entire Gospel? But the authority of Jesus needs to be lived out in our gospel, in our story, what Jesus has done and is doing in our lives. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for this word and help us to live in such a way that we really do try to live out what we see in Scripture and we acknowledge you as our Lord and not just as our Savior. We acknowledge your authority in our lives, your authority over our homes, your authority in the way we do business, your authority in our marriages, your authority in every aspect of our lives. We thank you that you are the one, the only one, we have to obey. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. God bless.